0: Good morning, everybody. We are going to uh, read uh, from Luke's Gospel, uh, uh, chapter 2. So if you can find your way there, it's on the page 1090 of the Bible that is provided in the pew, or if you have your own, it's toward the back of it, or you can follow along on the screens or whatever digital device you happen to have with you. Hear the word of the Lord as I read. Let me give you the context verse. There's these shepherds who uh, are being approached by an angel who are out in the field. In verse 9, "...and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy." With whom he is pleased. May God help us to understand this, his word. Uh, Charles Dickens uh, grew up in Victorian era England, and um, his uh, parents were very, very poor. And so at the age of 12, uh, he was sent to go work in the mines. And he worked 16-hour days just to bring a little bit of money home for the family. They were uh, churchgoers, but after a while, as uh, Charles got older, he stopped going. But he never forgot um, uh, some of the things that he had learned in church. And they made their way into his stories. You see, his particular stories were ways in which to expose the irony of the Victorian era of virtue, and yet poverty that nobody seemed to address, nobody seemed to relieve, and so it made it into one of my uh, very uh, favorite movies at Christmas time. Is A Christmas Carol, and uh, in the uh, movie Christmas Carol, there are so many versions. Uh, And so, if I could tell you the best, it's the best because they they really pulled some unbelievable actors and actresses together to do it. And it's shortly after George C. Scott does Patton, he does Ebenezer Scrooge. A phenomenal uh, job. I mean, it's kind of hard to picture Patton as Scrooge, but it was true. But the theme that Uh, uh, Charles Dickens pulls out of his Sunday school is this idea of transformation, that it's possible. And if you know anything about A Christmas Carol, it's about a transformation of an old miser who has isolated himself and ruined his own life by seeking that which is physical, that which is only numbered in money being transformed in a single night by visits from the Christmas past, the Christmas present, and the Christmas yet to be. Well, that's not too far of what we're talking about today. And so what I did is I I set this series, this very short series, on the Advent to look at peace from what we received in the past what we can experience in the present, and what will one day be. All under this idea of the present. And hopefully that transforms us, transforms the way in which we live, in which we have relationships with one another, the way we have a relationship with our God. And so the most famous passage I could think of on Christmas is Luke 2. And specifically one verse. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. According to this verse, a Christmas is about peace, peace on earth. So the implication is, what is that peace? We have to understand what that peace on earth is that he came to bring in order to understand why Jesus came. Jesus was literally born to bring peace on earth. And so what is that peace? The context here for our passage is a group of shepherds who are out in a field and they're tending their flock and an angel appears. And one of the things that you notice if you do a survey of the Bible is that whenever angels show up or something divine shows up, something that is of not of this world, something outside, something supernatural, the natural response of human beings is to be afraid. We see that in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared uh, to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. They were afraid. And so the first things that angels often do when they show up is say, do not be afraid. Let's face it. When supernatural invades the natural we get scared when things out of the ordinary, things that aren't planned, things that, that, that shock us, we're afraid of. Now that's way against where our culture is today. Our culture uh, has uh, a television shows called God befriended me. And on the other extreme, you have a jo- uh, 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 Joan Bo- uh, Osborne singing, uh, what if God w- was one of us? That seems to be diametrically opposed what? Do not fear. No, fear is the natural human response to the holy. So if you ever feel that way, that is what natural relationship without the context of the gospel is supposed to render. And so, how does the angel calm their fears? He doesn't just say, do not fear. He says more than just do not fear because telling someone not to fear who's afraid might cause more fear. So he doesn't just say do not fear. He goes on in verse 10 and says, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Well, what's that good news? That word good news in the original language is just one word. Evangelion, Evangelical uh, Presbyterian Church, gets its name from it. It means the gospel. I bring good news to all of great joy. Verse 11, it tells us this good news. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. Hundreds of years before that statement was written, before Jesus walked on the earth, forevermore. That's Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And so instead of a king coming on a throne, instead of a general in front of his army, we have a savior who comes as a baby in a manger wrapped in cloths, which was also what? Told hundreds of years before it ever happened. In Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the gospel that is his coming to bring us peace in this world. That's verse 14, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. But what kind of peace does he bring? Well, in order to tell us what the peace is, I have to tell you first what the peace is not. And then I hope to tell you what it is, and then lastly, how to get it. So first, what it is not. This peace is not primarily between us. It's not primarily between humankind. Jesus did not come to end crime, racism, hatred. War, at least not right away. Christianity has not made this world more peaceful. If this is what Luke meant, if this is what the angels were proclaiming, that Jesus would come and bring peace among men with ourselves, between us, then it was not a successful story. He wasn't born to end wars. The secondly, it is not peace in us. I know we make much about having peace in the midst of conflict and strife and things like that, but Jesus didn't come to guarantee and to give you inner peace. Jesus wasn't born to end divisions and strife and anxiety and depression and sadness and suicide. If Jesus primarily came to do those things, then he was a failure because they are still with us. In some ways, the birth of Jesus has made things harder, more complicated, and even messier. If this is what peace is, Not, then what is it? What Luke and the angels are trying to say to us today is that the peace that Jesus was born to bring was not between us or in us, but with us. Because of sin, there is a spiritual war between God and all of mankind. I know this is difficult to hear because it's not the way in which we view our relationship with God. And so we don't see him as our enemy and we don't see ourselves as his. But do you remember one of the most beautiful uh, Christmas carols that we sing often every year is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And when Charles Wesley wrote that piece, he has this line in there. He says, Peace on earth, mercy mild." Here it comes God and sinners reconciled. You don't need reconciliation if there is no war. You don't need peace unless there's a battle. God and sinners are enemies because of sin, because of the evil that we have done. Jesus came to bring peace between God And mankind. Because ever since Genesis 3, we have been walking away from God rather than toward God. We have been going east of Eden and calling it home. Back in verse 14, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. The King James gets at this a little bit better, and we did it in this last song. ...that we sang together as a congregation where the line is... ...peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You see, you need goodwill because you had ill will before... And it's toward men, that is, is that God has come into the world toward us because we were going away from Him. Jonah is a perfect example of where someone that God is pursuing is literally running on the seas from Him, and God has to get a storm, get a whale, and just get Him to where He wants Him to be. And though, and, and, and so when we begin to think about our relationship with God, it is a pursuit By the victor to the loser to bring peace. Now, you name a place where that has ever happened in human history. Outside of the gospel, where is the victor sued for peace? It's always the conquered. Paul helps us understand what Luke is saying here in Colossians 1, verse 19 He says in him talking about Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him through this Jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace how by the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Don't you see Paul saying that we were reconciled we are the reconciled former enemies of God, alienated and hostile. Alienated means that we were separated, that we were re- rejected because of our sin, hostile because we thought we could save ourselves, we thought we knew best, and because of the evil that just rises from that lie. How does Jesus bring about this reconciliation? He was born to die. And we miss this almost every Advent because we focus on a baby in a manger and we forget that he grows up to die on a cross. And we can't separate Christmas from Easter. Our union with Christ in this life and his death is what reconciles us. God takes us and says, you are in Christ. And because of that, what is his is yours And what is yours is his. This reconciliation makes us holy and blameless and above reproach from him. We don't tend to think of ourselves as holy and blameless and certainly not above reproach. But in Christ, we are. No one can condemn you. Not the devil. Not other people. Not even you. You know, when we're all alone and we're thinking in our mind of the things that we've done and the people that we've hurt, we're constantly condemning ourselves. And here we've been reconciled. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that means not even God can condemn you anymore because of Christ. Well, that's great, Bruce. Good news. How do you get it? How do you receive good news? How do you receive this peace? I'll give you the ABCs because I just thought it would be a way for you to remember it. Admit, believe, and commit. The first, admit there is a war. That's hard to believe. You know, one of the things they noticed in the first battle of the Civil War, just outside Washington, D.C., down in Virginia, And and when the war broke out, what did they do? The people in, in Congress had a picnic on the hill to watch the battle. They didn't realize they were in a war until the troops started coming up the hill. And they started to run and leaving the picnic baskets behind. Sometimes that's us. We know there's a spiritual battle out there but we think it's so distant from us that we can sit on the hill and just watch it happen until it comes over the hill for us and then we go running. There's this great line in another hymn that I really like. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. This isn't the whole truth, is it? We love that line, but it's not the whole truth. It's truth this way, there is nothing that you and I contribute to our salvation, and so we bring no merit before God and say, please pick me. But we do bring something to our salvation. Sometimes we forget this. We bring two handfuls of need. That is, we can't have peace until we recognize we're in a war. You and I can't have salvation until we recognize we need salvation. So, in one sense, we bring nothing of merit, nothing of good to commend ourselves, but we do bring lots of bad, lots of need. Paul writes it in Romans 8. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. To receive peace, I must first admit my sin has made me an enemy of God, and I need to be reconciled to him. And then, secondly, it's to believe in Jesus as our reconciler through substitution. Second Corinthians 517, very famous verse that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old things have passed, the new things have come. How are we made new? He goes on in verse 18 and says this, All this is from God. This new stuff who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is how he does it. That is, in Christ, God was what? Reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we as the ambassadors of Christ, we appeal to people to be reconciled. We implore them. I like that word. It means to beg on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled. You see, what, he, what he's saying is, is that we're reconciled because our sins are no longer counted against us. That's, a, that's a, an accounting term. That is, is that there's a debt. For the wages of sin is death. The wages, the debt of every sin... The debt of the original sin, we bear that guilt. We've been polluted by it, and it has to be paid for. The books have to be made even. They have to be balanced. Uh, When I was in in college, I had this uh, checking account, and it was always near the bottom because I never, never, ever uh, balanced the books. That's why Kathy does that. (laughs) But sometimes we think because we don't, check our uh, checking accounts and savings accounts, that God is not. God is going to make all of the bank accounts come out. All the lives have got to give an account for what they have done. So what did he do? If he's not counting it against us, what did he do with all of that debt? Verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He took Him on Himself. The truth is, every sin has to be paid for, and it is either going to be paid for by us or by someone else. But someone has got to pay. And so the reason that He came as a baby The reason he came as a man is only a man can die for man's sins because it is a man who did them. But he had to come as the God-man because it had to have infinite value to cover all of our sins. And so he's the God-man. He came into our world as our substitute in our place to allow all of God's wrath Do sin to be emptied on him at that moment. And I love this line out of Romans. It says that, but the righteous live by faith. And so Christianity is what? Trusting that it's paid in full, that we quit trying to equal the books ourselves that we keep trying to save ourselves. We keep trying to commend ourselves and instead give up because it's already paid in full. And that's how we live in forgiveness and freedom. The last point, if you admit and you believe, the last is to commit. And this is it. Commit never to get over it. Commit never to get over the gospel of grace. What happens when the good news becomes just okay? It's the reason that we don't seem to find power in our lives to change. It's the reason that we can't or won't forgive when someone has hurt us. But it is because we've got over that peace with God... That we have forgotten how wonderful the reconciliated gospel. That's what he called it. What? Peace on earth. I bring you this good news of great joy. Do you know who has never gotten over that gospel? Angels. They have never gotten over the good news that God made peace with sinners. That's why they're always singing about the glory of God, you go through the book of Revelation and you look at the songs that the angels sing. The subject matter is always God's grace to us. Right after they talk about how holy He is, they then turn around and say, amazingly, that He saved sinners. We are not to forget how great this good news is. We can't get over it. And so we must, what? Remember it. Commit to remember it. Commit to speak it to our friends and family and people in the community of faith, whether they're at EP or at another church, but into our community because we can't get over that. Because it's not okay news it is good news. Our God is at peace with us, and we are at peace with our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for securing this peace. We are deeply mournful that our sin has created this, this battle, this war, this separation, And when at the right moment of the darkness that had fallen upon the earth where it was always winter but never Christmas, in comes the light. Dawn came when you sent your Savior into the world to live and to die in our place. And to prove it worked, he's alive. And he sits down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Who is interceding on our behalf until you turn to him and say, go get our kids. Bring them home. We long for that day. We look forward to that day. And until that day, we live in repentance and faith that we are reconciled and at peace. In Jesus' name, amen.